I'm here to challenge worldviews. Because the Lord challenged mine many, many years ago in ministry. I was this um, lowly youth minister in a, in a church in Kansas. And I went to a youth ministry conference in Joplin, Missouri. And on the stage one afternoon were, were these specimens here. And I remember thinking, what is going on? Like I'm looking back through my, my program going, what are we doing this afternoon? What have I missed? And uh, Dr. Sharp, our, our, our founder of our ministry, he walks out on stage that afternoon with all of us youth ministers and, and, and begins sharing dinosaurs in the Bible together, connecting dots that I had always had questions about, dealing with things that I, that I never understood, never had heard, and I'm sitting on the mic about the third row, I was, I was happy because I was getting some answers answered. At the same time, I was ticked off. I got, I got mad. I mean, I was irate because I grew up in the church. I, I, I have loved this book from the time I, anybody said go. Accepted Christ and was saved at 13. Bible college graduate. On and on, and I had never heard the things this man was saying. And I'm going, what is going on? <laughs> Maybe I wasn't paying attention. I called my wife that evening. Honey, can you dig out your notes from Old Testament class, please? Because I don't remember us ever touching on dinosaurs. Her notes are way better than mine. Was that the, yeah, okay. So, it started me on a journey. A journey in my own worldview and in my own, in my own walk with him. How much do I trust him in this book? Just so you understand before we, we cover anything this week. I want you to understand that I am sold out to this book first. We may be de dealing with scientific issues, but listen to me. I am sold out to this book first. This is absolute truth. That's how I see it. That's how I will teach it. So if you don't want to ride with me there, I am really glad you're here. And I just, I, I beg of you, if you're here and, 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 you, and you, you don't necessarily see this as absolute truth, all of it, I'm really, really glad you're here. And, and I, I, I just, I want you to just, just give us a few minutes this week. I, I, I want to share things that maybe you didn't know about this book. Uh, about about a, a Lord and Savior who is your creator also. See, there are lots of things we hear about these creatures here, about other things in history. I, I need you to understand because our driving force in our ministry is this. We, we travel, and last year was horrible because we didn't get to, to take our ministry out. And it was highly frustrating, very frustrating. We, we, we travel because we want people to understand the history in this book. This is a history book. The history in it is accurate. All of it. Beginning to the end. It's not like it's like, well, it's not really history in parts, and then it gets really historic in other parts. It's, it's a historical record. So if we can't trust what the Bible says about its history, then where is our faith left for our destiny, things we can't see yet. See, those things are promised to us in the Word, but if we can't trust all the Word, what makes us think we can trust those parts too? 
See, there, is, there are two main warring kingdoms out there. Everything is a spiritual battle in your life. Everything. And so this week, we're going to touch on things that, that I want to challenge your, your worldview. I want to challenge that every area of your life is biblical. Everybody has a worldview. Not everybody has a biblical worldview. Even in the church, dare I say. See, because we live in a pagan world, there is another kingdom there that wants to seek, kill, and destroy you. That is the, that, that's, that's his sole purpose. Satan's sole purpose is to take you out for eternity. See, worldview is very simply a set of beliefs you have based on something, something that you believe is true. See, out of a, out of a congregation this size this morning and, and the varied backgrounds that we have, there's, there's probably somebody in here that, that values something that you believe is truthful that I don't. I don't see as truthful. But see, worldview matters because it affects how we see everything around us. How we deal with each other. How we see the cross. How we see dinosaurs. There are other worldviews. There are other worldviews that are not biblical. Shared by some. So I want to begin this morning by, by sharing just another idea that's out there to show you that not everybody agrees in worldviews, all right? Do, do you recognize the fellow on the right? Bill Nye, all right? Who, 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 who's seen Bill Nye and, 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 okay, remembers him, grew up with him a little bit, and, and remember listening to him, and, and he has a different worldview than I do. Please listen. Here we go. How appropriate do you think it is to teach creationism to children? Uh, it's completely inappropriate in science class. Now, if you want to teach it in the history of religion or uh, uh, fascinating human undertakings, uh, uh, creation myths that turned out not to be true, 101, then that's uh, fine. But it's not... It's not science. It's not. It's nothing to do with uh, the way we know nature. Well, let me ask the obvious follow-up, and that is, what's the harm? Oh, then you raise a generation of kids. You have the potential for raising a generation of kids. It doesn't understand how we have everything that we have, how we have food, how we have electronics that allow us to have this uh, video conversation through the Internet across a continent. It's, uh, none of this would be possible without the the discoveries that were made through the process of science. When you try to embrace the ideas of creationists, as I understand it, who insist, apparently, that the Earth is six or somehow 10,000 years old, that's completely inconsistent with the scientific method and everything that we know. And so uh, you just don't want to have kids growing up with this conflict, this worldview of that's, that's wrong. You want some so if you're in here today, and you believe in this book, you cannot possibly understand where food comes from. That's what he said. It's exactly what he said. 
If you believe in this book, you can't understand how, where food comes from, and you cannot possibly understand the internet. Now, I am, I am not the brightest bulb, okay? But I'm here to tell you, I know how to use this thing. And, and like, to the detriment at times. Hello? Like, to the detriment. Like, if, I, if you ask me my wife's cell phone number right now, Uh, she, let's see, cell phone is speed dial number three. I don't have to know it. I, it's, it's in here, okay? See, worldview matters. Worldview matters because if, if we think we're it, if we think we're it, wow, we're missing something. We're missing something. Worldview matters. Science Bill says that science, if we understand science, how we observe things, it shows us that this book cannot possibly be right. We can't trust what this book says. Really. So what science is observing, testing, repeating, falsifying. That is science, the scientific method. Hello? Everybody good? Science. There's nothing when we observe, test, repeat, and falsify. Listen to me. Listen to me. Nothing. And we observe, test, repeat, and falsify that will ever say the word of God is wrong. Can we observe, test, repeat, and falsify the first day of creation? Everybody better be shaking their head no. We can't. That's a one-time event in the past. It takes faith. How about the Big Bang? Can we do the same on the Big Bang? Observe, test, repeat, falsify. Can we? No. That's faith. But we're whirling atoms, Matt, under, under Switzerland in a 17-mile tunnel. And we're going to prove the Big Bang that way. Really, when we do it, how do we compare it to know we've actually done it? See, observe, test, repeat, false science. When Bill says science, he means evolution. He means evolution. He does not mean science. I, I, I never have an issue with science. My issue is with, with evolution. An idea that says that you're in this building today because over an immense amount of time, outside of the working of the Lord, you have evolved to a point under mutation and lots and lots of chance and time to sit here and be able to hear me this morning and worship our Creator and Savior through a process that death, death is the mechanism of advancement. Why would I say that? In evolution, what does death weed out? Weeds out the weaker, so that the fit do what? Continue and survive. Death is a mechanism of advancement in evolution. Hmm. A hair different here. So let's, let's talk about worldviews. I'm here to stretch worldviews this, this week. I would love to have, have Bill Nye uh, take his opinion of science and sit down with Sir Isaac Newton. Was he a scientist, church? Would you classify Sir Isaac Newton as a scientist? I mean, he did, he did some really cool things. He, like, he like discovered planetary motion. Kind of a semi-big thing. Gravity. Have you heard of gravity? Most likely we've heard of gravity because of Sir Isaac Newton. Calculus. Calcul uh, calculus students, raise your hands. Who's got calculus? Okay, good. I haven't had it. <laughs> I haven't suffered through that. You can thank Sir Isaac Newton. Um, 
what we don't get taught about Sir Isaac Newton is this. He loved this book. Really. Like when he was discovering those little things like gravity, he would write in the margins to the praise and glory of God. Yeah, we don't learn that in science class. We don't learn in, in science class the little blurb paragraph in our science textbooks that talk about Sir Isaac Newton. We don't learn that he actually physically wrote more in commentary to the Word of God than he did in scientific things. That we can't be a Bible believer and, and do science. That's, that doesn't fit in my worldview. I hope it doesn't in yours as well. Because this week we're going to be talking about lots and lots of different things. This morning I have a 12-part message. For those of you that are note takers, the rest of you are freaking out right now. Um, they're quick. Okay, so, but I need to do a little worldview test. What is this? This is a T-Rex named Sue. Sue. This is Sue. Who has seen Sue in the Field Museum in Chicago? A few of you have seen her. Phenomenal T-Rex. Now listen, this, this, is, this is our research replica copy, first-generation copy, of Stan's head. We're a little more partial to Stan in, 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 our, in our ministry. Um, actually, a better and more complete head than Sue's, but that, that's, that's beside the point. So, Sue, T-Rex, right? And, and what is this? A chicken. It's good. Here is your worldview question. Do not answer this out loud. This is a worldview question. Which of these has been on earth longer? See, your worldview, listen to me, focus. Your worldview and what you trust in this book answers that question. Tonight, we're going to deal with that question in spades. Spoiler alert, the chicken's been here longer. And see, for some of you, that's the first time you've ever heard that. And right now you're going, Mr. Matt, you're off your rocker. Man, I hope you come back tonight. Because I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to try my best to show you biblically that's how you need to answer that question. See, we, we are taught lots of different things. We have heard lots of different things. We have seen a whole lot of movies, hello, that are not documentaries. Not documentaries. They're movies. <laughs> But there's baggage in our worldview that I will deal with this evening when we're talking about dinosaurs. See, there are, there are things that if we get Genesis wrong, then we get, we get how we see each other wrong. Adam and Eve, were they really the first two people that the Bible says God made? Were they just two of a group of people that they're the representatives of in the Word of God? Are they, wait, are they the finished product of an evolutionary, God-guided evolutionary process that has his image at the end? Oh, presently taught in numerous churches that idea. By, by ministries that I use that term very loosely that do not believe the Lord actually made them physically the first two people with nothing before them. And scarier than that to me is that at present in some churches, Adam and Eve actually never existed. It's just a nice story about, about our life and our walk with him. What? 
Like, what does that do to the cross? Hello? When does sin come into the world? In your worldview, if we do not have Adam and Eve, where does sin begin? Uh, is that Noah? Is that Abraham? Do we have to wait till David? Do we have to, we have to, you see, worldview matters about things. So we will be dealing with some of these issues. We, we will be dealing with them. But today, I want to give you 12 things that connect Genesis to the gospel this morning. That, that these 12 things, if we get them wrong, we're in trouble. Turn with me to Romans. Before we go to Genesis, go to Romans chapter 12, please. Romans chapter 12. I promise, your roasts are not going to be burned. The 12 will go quickly, okay? (laughs) Paul, writing this letter to a church in a pagan culture. Do we resonate with that at all, church? Can we we identify with that at all? Here, here, here he is writing, and he is, he is sharing some things in the 12th chapter that every one of us have got to pay attention to. That our spiritual act of worship is, is giving of our bodies as living sacrifices. Then in verse 2, look at what verse 2 says. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your... Guess what that is? A.K.A. World View. If we do not continually renew, notice it's a continuing thing. It's not like, well, you do it and you're done, you're finished. Whoop, good. It's a continual renewing of our mind, of our worldview, how we see things. Because if we don't focus and, and, and renew it in Him and Him first, what happens? Look what happens. The reason we've got to renew our mind, we've got, to, we've got to get it wrapped around him first. If only then will you be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If your worldview, you're here this morning, and you've got areas in your life that are not biblical in your worldview, you are missing something fabulous from the Lord. You're missing something that, that he has waiting for you, and he's just waiting for you to give it all. Not just the parts you, you like to give, the tough parts too. Sometimes it's things that we've heard or, or thought we've known for our entire life that we don't want to give up. When we, when we see something in the Word of God that says, that's probably not right, and we go, but ah, that my whole life. Right here, been built on that. I don't know why I give that up. I, I, think, I think there's something on the top of your stage up here. Nothing's impossible for him. You're going to hear challenging things this week. I, I, I pray with all that I am that you will hear his voice this week. Turn with me to Genesis course of the, the rest of my time with you this morning, we're going to work our way through the first 11 chapters. Are we ready? <laughs> we're going to cover the first two in the very first verse of all of Scripture. In the beginning, God created what? 
heavens and the earth. So let's talk about this a bit. What does this have to do with his nature? See, in Romans chapter 1 and verse, and verse 20, the Apostle Paul is writing, and, and he, he's writing to that church, and he's telling them, listen, there are two invisible qualities that, that you can clearly see of the Lord. Now, is he schizophrenic or something? Because he, 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 says, he says there's two qualities that are invisible, but then he states, but you can clearly see them from something that he made in creation. One of them is his, is his Godhead. Some translations say Godhead. Some say, some say his divine nature. It, it's how we see him as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That whole little thing that we've tried over the years, we've had all these other little things. The egg. The egg has three parts, and it's all one. And, you know, we try to teach this, and we, we all try to grasp this idea. And, and I think all of us are like, yeah, maybe. I kind of got it. He's one. But we, can, but we understand him, and we, and, we, and we spend time with him in three different ways. And we get it from right here in the first verse of Scripture, Paul says. How, how do we do that? There's three words, beginning, earth, and heavens. Those Hebrew words there, beginning, beginning is, the, is the beginning of what? Time. It's not just everything. That physically, that word can be, can be translated time. Guess what started ticking when he said in the beginning? Time. Guess what's always been ticking from that moment? Time. A.K.A. history began when? In the beginning. So wait. Worldview stretching moment. Hang on. What are these guys called? What kind of creatures are these guys called? Pre- Whoa, prehistoric. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Matt, you just said that time began in the very first verse. That means everything has always been in history. You know, for a long time, I used a word called prehistoric. I don't use that word anymore. Not biblical. Not biblical. Just that simple word that hello, all of us have used is not biblical. Well, Matt, that means it's before the, the era of, of, of our living. That is not what we have in our head. That may be the technical term for prehistoric. That is not what's in our worldview. Our worldview is like before history. But yet the Word of God starts with history. So guess what tonight's message is titled? Those great historic creatures, dinosaurs. Okay, so tonight. So what's those other two words there? Earth and heavens. Those words can be translated space and matter or mass. Guess what the three things of our existence is made up of? Space, mass, and time. That is scientifically observed. Does it, does it shock you that he started with space, mass, time in the first verse of all of Scripture? And he, and he, wait, Rowan says we should be able to see something about him and his nature from what he made. Oh, really? Wait, how many parts of, are there of him? Oh. So there's this, there's this eternal father who holds time, Isaiah chapter 40 says right here. Holds all of creation right here. He is, he is outside of time. He governs time. He began time. 
And, and then he put on flesh, mass, matter, walked amongst us 2,000 years ago. Our creator put on flesh. He put on the very image of, very image. He put on flesh. He put on mass. And when he left, did he leave you alone? Did he leave that space within each and every one of us empty? No, he comes and fills our, our space by his spirit. Our, our very existence, church. First verse. Because, because the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 says, so we are without excuse. So we're without excuse. It's him. So the first day, he creates this little thing called light. That's that other eternal, or eternal powers, that other invisible quality in Romans chapter 1, by the way. The other invisible quality, besides his divine nature, is the eternal power. And what's he do next on day one? He creates light. He shows us his eternal power. That's how I hear it when I read those. That's how I hear it. Sorry. Okay, so... And then, then what does he do? He says, God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. The most asked thing of me. Matt, do you, do you really believe that, that that week that is written in Genesis chapter 1, that it was a physical week? Yes. First reason. If we just sit down and read that chapter, that's all we would ever think it was. We would never come up with some huge amount of time there we actually would never come up with a huge amount of time between verses 1 1 and 1 2 either so where have we gotten all these ideas because we've all heard ideas about this that these days can't they don't really have to be that right i need to i need you heading towards jeremiah chapter 33 Start heading towards Jeremiah chapter 33. While you're going there, let me share a few tidbits and facts about the word yom, the Hebrew word yom. It gets translated day. As it's being translated day in the Old Testament, anytime the word yom has a number put with it, three days, seven days, 40 days, day, anytime a number is attached to the word yom, every time a number is attached to yom, in the entirety of the Old Testament, it always is in reference to a day like we would understand a day. Okay? Every time morning or evening is attached to the word yom in the entirety of the Old Testament, it always references and gives us the understanding of a day like we understand a day. Here in chapter 1, how many of those things do we have with the word yom. We have evening and morning and a number. We have all three. So, so purely looking at the text, we would never come up with any other idea than a day. But see, we've all heard things on National Geographic or Discovery Channel or Natural History Museums or whatever that kind of scream at us that those days, well, they, they don't have to be that kind of day because if we, if we physically just add up all the, the dates in this book, we've got like 6,000 years. So, 
So those days can't be days. I mean, they've got to be longer. They've got to be thousands. There's that passage that to the Lord a day is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day, right? Is that what it says? That's not what it says. It says like. We discussed that on Tuesday night. Tuesday night. Come back Tuesday night. Okay? You're in Jeremiah, though. Why am I bringing up Jeremiah? See up there on the screen, it says day, night, and what is the word used there? Covenant. Now, wait a minute. What's a covenant? It's a promise. If the Lord covenantally does something with you, can you count on that? Can you be like, yeah, I think I can trust that. Check out Jeremiah chapter 33 for a second. In the context of what we're discussing here, whether those days are actual days. Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 19 and following. Okay? The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night. Oh, day and night are what? They're covenantally controlled. Now, you and I, we go, well, observationally, we have a day and night because of what? We're spinning. Woo! And we got this big, large, burning ball of gas out there, right? Tomorrow night, we'll talk about the big burning ball of gas out there. Okay, that's astronomy. Tomorrow night. Okay? Day four of creation, tomorrow night. Okay? So, we got this understanding that we're spinning, and, and that gives it the, the, Oh, the Word of God says that governs what a day is. That he set a covenant that the sun on day four gets to govern. Are you with me? Hmm. Why is this important? Look at what it says. If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that day and night no longer come at their appointed time. Oh, they have an appointed time. They're set. Verse 21. Then my covenant with David, my servant, and my, my covenant with the Levites who, who are priests ministering before me can be broken, and David will no longer have a descendant to reign on his throne. What does he stake on a day-night covenant? Who's going to reign on David's throne? Jesus. Uh, look, connect some dots here, what he's saying. If we can figure out how to mess up what a day is, then he will not send Jesus. How important is that? How important, dare I say, is that covenant? When was the first time we see that covenant in action? Day one. Really, really important. There's other passages. I'll share some of them as we go through the week that support that idea over and over and over again that this week was the first week of history. It was history. And then on day three, go back to Genesis chapter one. Day three, he makes this dry ground and then he begins making living systems. His living systems, his biology 101, genetics 101 word is kinds. So on day three, he creates, he creates the land and then on the land, he says he puts plants. Were they young plants? What's the text say? They were mature. How do we know they were mature? Because the trees were mature because they had what on them? Fruit. And what was already in the fruit? It repeats itself. When the Lord repeats himself in Scripture, focus! <laughs> I'm sorry. I do that with students. You're, you're my students this morning, okay? So, there's seeds already there. He states when he's making all the, the animal kingdom on days five and day six. Animal kingdom is the same. They're going to be created by their kinds to reproduce after their kind. 
Guess what? Observing, testing, repeating, falsifying. All of science supports that everything always reproduces after their kind. Corn always produces corn. Apples always produce more apple. Do we have varieties within a kind? Yes. All built within the genetic code, day three. Now listen to me. Our biology textbooks today in, in science class state this about how we got all of our plants. The whole entire botany kingdom started as green algae. Got I can, I, can, I can stand right here, right now, and guarantee you it says that in your biology textbook. I, I've seen them. I have, I have pictures of most of them. We're asked to believe something in our worldview that we cannot scientifically observe, test, repeat, and falsify. Hello? Because all we can observe is exactly what the Word of God says about every living system. Everything creates after its own kind. It's that basic. It's that simple. Living systems. And when he finishes the living systems through part of day six, and he says they're good in verse 25, good, whenever you see that word good in these, in these, <laughs> these days, that means perfect and complete. Perfect and complete. But then, then he does something different in verses 26 and following. He, he, he creates us in his image, and he makes man male and female. He makes man male and female. The word there in verse 27, so God created man. In my translation, it still uses man. Some new translations are, are, are putting in humankind. Now, here's the thing. Here's my little nitpicky. My little nitpicky. As much as humankind is, it, it's okay. It's not like there's an error there. The issue for me is the word, the Hebrew word is Adam. The word is Adam in the Hebrew. It means man, male and female. That doesn't lessen the female variety of man. Doesn't. There's equality. If we had time to study chapter 2, there's equality with the Lord between male and female. He, did, he didn't take a portion of our head or a portion, portion of our feet, the man's feet or head. He took a portion from the side, showing equality in the Lord's sight with different roles and giftedness. Hello? Different roles and giftedness. We've kind of missed that part. Hello? We're missing that part. We don't bother to study what the Word of God says. And here we are. Here we are with other issues as well. He started with two. He gave us a picture of marriage. Man and woman. That's what this says. We can call marriage whatever we want to call it. We, we have the choice to be able to do that. Problem is, if we try to identify that that's biblical or not, outside of what that says marriage is. 
starts right here. Starts in the garden. And then, and then, wait, we go to chapter 3. Go to chapter 3 right quick. What's chapter 3 all about? The fall. So we have Adam and Eve, perfectly created, placed in this special little garden. They were supposed to eat from the tree of life. Why? If they ate from the tree of life, what, how long are they going to live? Forever. If they eat the tree of life, they live forever. But if they eat the other tree, what happens? They said that they'll, they'll surely die. It's actually, in the Hebrew, it's very emphatic. It's like it's screaming at them. You will surely die! It wasn't like, oh, well, we might, we might fade away. It was pretty emphatic. They, they knew. It was unmistakable. In the midst of perfection, Satan, in the midst of perfection, Satan deceived. What's the, what's the prognosis for us? Hello? Are we in perfection still? <laughs> By the time we think we got it all under control, whoo! So it gets us in trouble, isn't it? When we try to justify sin just like they did in the garden. That's a whole other message. We, I, I can't go there. <laughs> We see that there's good and evil, and and when sin enters the world, when sin enters the world, what enters with it? Death. When sin enters the world, death enters the world. How do we know that? Because it says so. There's a separation. There's a a spiritual separation between God and and Adam and Eve at that moment, as well as there's going to be a physical separation. A death is going to happen to to Adam. How how long does does Adam live after this moment in history? Anybody anybody read ahead to chapter 5? How long does Adam live? 930 years! Woo! Is that encouraging to anybody or is that discouraging? <laughs> okay, so 930 years. But then he did what? He died. Hmm. Hmm. See, there's folks out there that want to like argue, well, no, this was just a spiritual death. Really? But he died. And, and we have all indications, scriptural indication, that if he if they had not sinned, they would have lived for ever. Along with what else? Let's connect some dots right quick. How much of the creation was perfect? How much of it did he say good? All of it. A.K.A. everything would have continued to live. Whoa. And in Romans we know when, we, when sin entered the world, all of creation groans now. All of creation is in frustration. It's affected Everything. But then we're getting ready to celebrate the cross, right? We're getting ready to celebrate life. Like this weekend is, is the weekend we, we, we remember them saying, Hosanna, Hosanna! Giving praise to him as, they, as he rode in on this dawn, as he was going to be the king! And little did they understand. They, they had no clue. They had no clue. That's what happens when we... When we when we don't stay focused on him. We, we think we got things figured out and then we find out, wait, it's a little different than we thought. We're going to celebrate that in another week. But I need you to understand where it started. It was founded in Genesis. 
Go with me. Look at verse 21, chapter 3. 21, chapter 3. Maybe you've never connected this dot before right now. I've had people say things like, well, you know, grace started in the New Testament. That's my, my, that's my short answer. Um, <sighs> grace began in the garden. Look at verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. He covered them. He atoned for their sin. How did he atone for their sin? He shed innocent blood. Sound familiar? The shedding of innocent blood covers sin. But a Hebrew says the, the blood of bulls and goats don't, that doesn't handle it any longer. Because we needed, we needed an image bearer. We needed somebody like us. Somebody like us that would, that would shed his perfect blood. Spotless. <laughs> that only works if this verse is in there. That the Lord was the first thing, the first thing to give its life in history was whatever that animal was. I, I lean on the lamb side. It doesn't say that. Seems reasonable. <laughs> we have no idea. Now, I've had some folks come up to me. Well, well, Matt, I think I had this one gentleman. I think that's when we got skin. I went, okay, that's a new one. Um, no, 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 no. I don't think we can get that. <laughs> like, so, you, wait, I was like, uh, so you, like we were just muscly and whatnot? Yeah, and then we got skin. I'm like, okay, no, 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 I don't ride there. Okay, so... <clears throat> Just in case you're out there today, too. You're like, no, 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 that, that, that's him shedding innocent blood to cover their sin. Remember what they tried to do? They, they, they tried sewing fig leaves together. We don't try to do that, do we, church? In the middle of sin, we don't try to fix it, do we? <laughs> Come on now. Yeah, that's not, like, that's not like us at all, right? We can't identify with Adam and Eve at all. Oh, come on. And we need a Savior. We need a Savior, and we don't even know it. We need grace and we don't even know it. If you're here this morning, grace is waiting. He could have, see, he could have started over. Hello? He could have just like, let's try this again. Human 2.0. Right? No, he, he, he showed grace. Starting in the garden. But we miss that. If we miss Genesis, we miss importance of Genesis. Step over to chapter 7, 8, and 9. What happens in 7, 8, and 9? It's Tuesday night, by the way. 7, 8, and 9 is Tuesday night. What is it? It's the flood. The flood. See, here's the thing. You have mountains. That, that oftentimes we're taught show an epic... Epic long period of history. Tuesday night, I'm going to do my best to show you that a worldwide covering flood that was a judgment against sin would do the exact same things that millions or billions of years of earth history that's been suggested to us has done. Let me say that again. That the things of the flood... The, the, the things we will read in the flood, the, the details of the flood show us all of the ingredients to do everything on the earth that we have, well, many of us have thought took millions or billions of years to do. 
And we all have that thing rattling around because if I ask you, well, how can, why, why do you not trust the word of God when it says six, six to 10,000 years? Everybody has that rattling thing around in the back of your head. Radiometric dating. <coughs> Carbon dating. We've all heard these things, these scientific things that are supposed to say, these guys are 65 million years old. And my simple question is, is do they have a tag on them? Did Mr. Albertosaurus from, from Shoto, Montana, hello? Anybody from Shoto? Shoto folk in the house? Okay. It's, it's, it's east of here, right? It's somewhere east. Okay. It's like a whole state away from me, like away. Okay. This guy, Shoto, Montana. We're told is 65 million years or older old. Does he have a tag that says, I lived 65 million years ago and an asteroid took me out? Does it say that? No. No, that is a worldview. I beg of you to be here tonight and, and Tuesday night. We're going to deal with dinosaurs tonight and Tuesday night because we've got to deal with dinosaurs in the flood. It's a big, big chunk of it. The reason the earth looks like it does, the flood, these chapters 7, 8, and 9, they can explain that from a biblical understanding first. And then guess what? When we go out and we do science, observe, test, repeat, guess how many things support that? <laughs> oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. I've got to stop now. I'm going to spoiler alert. Okay. Chapter 11. Here we are. Last chapter. I said we were going to cover. What's chapter 11 about? What gets founded in Genesis that's really, really important for us today? What is the Tower of Babel all about? We were, we were wanting to make a name for ourselves. <laughs> we were all about us. Hello? <laughs> and the Lord said, no, you need to remember who I am. Who's in control? And then he separated us by what? Did he separate us by hair color? Did he separate us by, by baldness or non-baldness? Did he separate us by size? No, he separated us by language. By language. Oh, I didn't share this in the first service, but I'm going to share it with you. I'm over time on it already, but I got to share this with you. So there's this evolutionist that says, I'm going to put a nail in the coffin of creation. Okay, he didn't say that, but that's, what, that's the gist of his scientific paper, okay? <laughs> because his study was in languages. And, and, he, and he writes in his paper, he, he says, it's, I'm, going to, I'm going to go back and find the original language that all 2,000 and some known languages have come from. I'm going to narrow it down and do it. Because if, if evolution is true, Stay with me. If evolution is true, we came from that common ancestor, and so we've all started coming from that common ancestor, and so all languages should be able to be traced back to how many? One. Now, the Word of God. What's happening at the Tower of Babel? They had how many languages? One, right? So you're like, huh, that kind of sounds familiar. Uh, but wait for it. So he's writing his paper, and you can hear the angst in his voice. He's frustrated because in all of his years of study of languages, he makes these realizations. Are you ready? He says, It's interesting that I can, I can take a gorilla from any troop anywhere in the world and plop it down in the Congo and they would know how to communicate. I could do this with any kind of primate. I could do this with donkeys. I could do this with goldfish. I could do this with crickets. 
What is he saying, church, without stating it? What is he stating that I've already touched this morning the word of God says that we've all come from? We all were created by our kinds. Do you understand what he's acknowledging? In the entirety of the animal kingdom, all created kinds have the same language. A dog born in America can speak to a dog from Mexico. (laughs) Or Canada, eh? I'm sitting reading this this scientific paper in my about fell out of my chair several years ago. I went, why have I never seen? I had not connected that dot. Like I had not connected that dot. I've been ministry. I've been doing this ministry for years, and I'm like, whoa! I'm like, all horses speak the same language. It's true, isn't it? You're all sitting there thinking about it right now, aren't you? Just like I was. I was like going, what? And then he says this. Isn't it ironic that, that maybe the Tower of Babel is right? The myth, he says it's the myth of the Tower of Babel could be right. That if language is supposed to be the passing on and communicating of it and advancing information, how come out of everything else on the planet... We can't communicate. Like all the same kind, we can't communicate. Ironically, it's almost as if the Tower of Babel, the myth of the Tower of Babel is right. <laughs> he supernaturally created languages at the Tower of Babel and separated us by languages. By the way, that gentleman, he separate, he's got he said we can get him down to about 16. That's where we're at. We're about 16 languages. I can't, we, can't, we think we maybe go a little more narrow than that. If you study chapter 10, guess how many grandsons Noah had? <laughs> I'm just saying. I, I, it's, it's, it's an interesting correlation, okay? Huh. When we observe, we test, we repeat, and we falsify, <laughs> everything supports that book. So we get separated by language. What goes with us in every one of our cells that goes into reproduction? Our, our DNA, our genetics. So if we're separated by language, certain genetic things take over in languages. Oh yeah, there's another study that supports that too. There's an interesting correlation between language, language and, 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 and genetic dispersal. Really? You don't say. Yeah, I, I would suggest that the Word of God says that. That by language, then genetic code took over and we have specific things that to this day we are still dealing with because we haven't bothered to study what the Word of God says. That we are all one race, one people, one nation. That's it, one. I don't care what the differences are. Color, hair color, whatever. There is the human race human race and we are still battling this because we haven't bothered to study what the word of god says how god sees us so that we know how we should see each other the only distinction between all of us in the word of god focus 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 believer and unbeliever saved and unsaved that that is the only distinction the only distinction We've come up with all, listen, my colleague Ryan Cox, 
hopefully, hopefully come back. I hope someday. And although I, yeah, I'm burning it right now, ever coming back. Um, Ryan has done this message. He's a historian. He's a history guy. He has, he has traced back, listen, this idea of racism, this idea of races is evolutionary, church. It comes from those that believed in an evolutionary process. And it's still being promoted today right under our noses. And we don't say anything about it. Because we haven't bothered to see what the Word of God says. See how the Lord sees us. Today in this place, are you saved or unsaved? See, we're, 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 we're celebrating this, this idea today that, that Christ has come in, King of kings and Lord of lords, but those very folks are going to say crucify him here in a few days. Do, do, do you speak Hosanna and praise on Sunday and crucify him in the middle of the week? See, is your worldview sold out to this book or not? Because listen, in your worldview, if you've got death before sin, before Kaye Nefesh, see, all blood-containing life, day five and day six life, biblically is called Kaye Nefesh life, blood-containing life. There is zero death of blood-containing life in Scripture prior to sin. Zero. That means if that guy was eating blood-containing life millions of years before Adam and Eve show up, if you've got the worldview that, that God's working on the primates to get you to, to, to him and his image, then you have death in your worldview before what? Before sin. Then I have to ask the question, what good is the cross? Jesus did what on the cross? He bled and he died. Died. The History Channel right now. Got these not wonderful programs, programs that try to help us with this Easter season. And they get these theologians from, from outstanding university, blah, 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 blah. They don't, know, they don't know the Bible from a hole in the ground. Saying things like, well, that Jesus was just in like a coma sleep thing. So you're saying, the... Albert's just creaking. Don't, don't worry about him. He's all right. He snaps and crackles. And... <laughs> so you're saying the Romans don't know how to kill somebody. Is that what you're saying? When you're saying that Jesus was just, he was just sleeping. He, he was like in a coma. <laughs> like that's, that's so absurd to me. Like that is so, what? The creator of the universe was crucified. He shed his innocent blood to pay your ransom. For your sin and mine. And next week we get to celebrate not the death of him, but the resurrection of him. See, he is not like every, whoa, every other religious leader on the planet. He's like none other. My Savior, my Creator is alive. And we should celebrate it more than once a year, but, but it's good to, to give it extra at least once a year. At least once a year. Because in biology, we study this thing called life from life. 
observationally, life only comes from life. It it, has never come from non-life. Never has and never will. Spiritually speaking, the only reason you can have life today is because he's alive. He's alive. Know him. Know your creator and your savior. This week, I hope to, I hope to encourage your faith that, that if you've walked in here and you've had blind faith your whole life, well, mom and dad just believe it, so I do. Please stop. Have faith of your own. Study this book. Have a passion for it. It is absolute truth, and there's nothing that says it isn't. Pray with me. Lord, I thank you this day for who you are. Lord, not only in my, my own life, Lord, I thank you for saving me. I thank you for, for salvation. But Lord, Lord, you've made everything. You control everything. Lord, help us to just see you as, as you've shared who you are in Scripture. Lord, help, help us to have a passion to study the details. You gave us a record that we, we are asked to study and trust. Lord, I thank you that we can go study and, and do things outside of these walls that, that support it. Lord, I praise you for that, and I, I, I just pray that you use, use me and my words this week. Uh, get me out of the way so that, that they will hear you. In Jesus' name, amen.